Hello and welcome to Flynn's Talk. It's the podcast where we're talking about and talking to many wonderful people in and around the veterinary field and our focus for a lot of this is around uh, mental health and supporting the veterinary community who support us crazy pet owners who I have the privilege of sitting with one of them. Jez, welcome. Self-confessed crazy pet owner. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's it. How's Nina? She's very home? good. She's very good. Good. One tooth missing, but she's fine. She's got a whistle? No, it's a back molar. Ah. No whistle. That's a ripper. It's a chewer. Cracked oh, tooth. Goodness. My cat's due for a um, uh, to go in and have a look and just make sure the gingivitis isn't uh, progressing too badly. Is that because she's a ginger cat? Well, no, oh. it's not just a ginger cat condition. But oh. yeah, good pickup. Mm. Um, but we'll get her in and see to that pretty soon. Jez, um, it's good to be here as always, and it's good to have Covetris uh, on board and supporting our podcast and our mission, helping us to get uh, the podcast out to more and more listeners and. Uh, We've had plenty across the season, um, which has been epic. Um, So thanks to them and and their work in supporting clinics and supporting vets to do um, their work more efficiently and effectively to spend more time with the patient care side of things rather than um, systems and processes. So Jez, uh, another really interesting chat coming up today uh, with a group based in Canberra. Um, And before we get into that, Canberra, May 22, we're yep. going to walk. Book it in your calendars if you haven't already. Yeah, we had a hugely successful first Canberra edition mm. last year with about 400 yeah. people. Um, so if you're in Canberra, May 22, it's down at Commonwealth Place, down on Queen Elizabeth Terrace, just opposite Questacon. So you can park there yep. and use the car park, wander across, have a coffee, go for a walk around the lake, 5Ks. It's a loop and come back for a sausage sizzle at the end and some raffles. Um, and rug up. And rug up. It was chilly last year, but we'll have our beanies you can True, buy yep. too, which is good. Um, and before that, of course, May 1, Flynn's Walk in Melbourne, yep. um, our flagship walk, where it all started. Um, and we're Hopefully going... back to usual this year, everyone walking plan. together. That's the plan. Um, come down from about 9.30, coffee cart, yep. free coffee, um, a special little surprise coming Ooh. for the doggos um, in the form of some treats. And we'll go for a 10K walk there, come back, sausage sizzle, raffles, usual thing, yep. have a chat um, and walk and talk. So, yep, Canberra in the uh, uh, second last week of May. Now, today's guest, Jez, the ACT Pet Crisis Support Network, yep. Dr. Eloise Bright and, and Nikki Hunt. Yeah, and it ties in quite nicely if you've listened to our to our last episode about the social hearted vet. Yeah, um, it actually ties in quite nicely to that um, same sort of community feel, helping mm. helping people who potentially are a bit more disadvantaged, potentially don't have the the funds that they need to to access the the veterinary care that their animals need, um, yeah. and the incredible work that these two are doing with their organisation. Yeah, and what I'm, we're going to tap into a bit as well, um, Eloise being a, a vet doctor and Nikki being a nurse, mm, yep. they've got a really nice blend of perspectives yeah. having spent a long time in the field. Yep. And so uh, it'll be good to dive into kind of really what it means, what the cost of pet care means, mm. why it is expensive, and then also what it means for their crisis um, support fund, which you know is available to people to access um, if you need it. So... They're doing a really, really wonderful thing. Um, 
and have a super exciting yeah. little project. Yep. Um, or not Correct. so little, but it is more little than a regular one. Um, the Tiny Clinic. I'm wrapped mm. to share this with everyone and hear about that. Heaps to talk about, heaps to get into. Without further ado, shall we? Let's do it. It's it's a really nice thing when we've connected with so many guests through our other guests, which we've talked about. Yep. Yep. And today's guests for the podcast came to us through our through our Canberra Walk last year. And Carrie was a big mm. champion yep. for our Canberra Walk and has warmly introduced us to the um, ACT pet crisis support team and uh i'd love to welcome nikki hunt first thanks for coming on to the podcast thank you for having me it's um it's really good to be able to share this experience with you guys yeah thank you and eloise bright is a is a vet i should say dr eloise bright um a veterinarian and um, based up in canberra as well and uh joins us via the Zoom universe too. All right, great. Thanks. Nice to meet you both and, and um, great great to talk to all of your uh, listeners about what ACT Pet Crisis um, Support does and uh, our journey. Thanks. Heaps to chat about. Um, Nikki, tell us a bit about your working journey and your, and your life to this point and how you got involved with this incredible cause. Uh, yes. Yeah. So I started vet nursing straight out of high school, so some 33 years ago um, was just always a passion I think you know driven uh, you know Vicky the vet from a country practice was my was my idol um, and always wanted to be a vet based on that from an early age and um, yeah did work experience and was lucky enough to be offered a position in a vet clinic and and basically haven't looked back since Um, so have continued to nurse that entire time still nursing still um you know, nurse every second weekend in conjunction with a full-time job. And um, I did see, I think Eloise must have put something up on Facebook a few years back now. And it was just a call out if anyone, you know, anyone who loves animals and wanted to help. And I just thought, oh, yeah, yeah. And then I sort of read a bit more about it. And then she went into, you know, the fact that this economic euthanasia was affecting her as a vet. And it was just something that resonated so strongly with me because, you know, 33 years, obviously, of vet nursing, you see so many clients and especially elderly who have their little white fluffies or whatever that become their world. And, you know, for treatable conditions um, that you know they can treat and they, and you can fix, but, you know, with pensions and, and cost of living nowadays, it's... um. You know, they, their option in their eyes is to euthanize the pet because they can't afford it. And that's heartbreaking. And I know Eloise will, will talk about much the same because um, like her, I, I think, you know, we've taken in our fair share of animals that have come through a clinic that have been in that position and you just know it's not fair. You know, you do what you can. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the crux of this charity was to try and help those people and to, to avoid this economic euthanasia. And it was just something I was so passionate about. And I was like, yes, yes, please sign me up. And, uh, yeah, Eloise, uh, you know, it's like, cool, come on board. There wasn't many of us to start with, but we're, we're growing rapidly. And it's just something I'm so very proud of. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll talk the ears off anyone who stops long enough to to gloat mm. about the charity <laughs> rightly so yeah, yeah. <laughs> eloise for you nikki mentioned um your call out there for for animal lovers um to be involved with your cause and i, I can only imagine um 
the plethora of responses you would have got because I've seen it with the things that we even put up um, and the engagement on social media is incredible. Um, it doesn't take much to draw out the animal lovers in the community. But just uh, to go back a step for you, um, you know, you're the founder of this and obviously still deeply involved, but what's uh, the Eloise Bright story to this point and why did you arrive at this stage where you thought, um, I've got to establish this and, and make a difference in this space? Yeah, so <laughs> I um, graduated from Sydney University and worked in Sydney for 10 years, moved back to Canberra and uh, within three months of moving back, I'd already had three animals surrendered to me. <laughs> First was a cat that was hit by a car and um, owner came in who was a... Um, gentleman with a two young kids and the cat was only a year of age and it had um, fractured back leg and I thought oh that's an easy enough injury to you know either repair or amputate the leg um, but this guy um, couldn't even afford x-rays let alone any surgery or care this cat needed um, and he so he ended up surrendering the cat to me because at that stage there was really no other options in Canberra um, so he signed the paperwork for euthanasia or surrender and, and I thought, oh, okay, I'll, I'll just pay for the surgery. And so he came and lived with me. And then the second one was a, <laughs> a cat that had chronic diarrhea and the owners just couldn't afford to keep treating this cat. Third one was a, you know, an accidental litter and a puppy that was, you know, uh, wasn't going to survive without bottle feeds and that sort of thing. And I just thought this isn't a sustainable solution. <laughs> Let's work out something that uh, means that these pets can stay with their owners. And I heard about a charity in Melbourne called Pet Medical Crisis, um, which is under a similar model. I think I saw it on the project. And I was like, oh, this is a great idea. And at the time I was helping with um, Pets in the Park. So there were a few other volunteers pretty keen on expanding what Pets in the Park did. Um, and so, so the idea of um, pet crisis support was born. And uh, yeah, it's great to have Nikki on board because she comes in with a, you know, a vet nurse perspective. Um, so a lot of our committee are um, just animal lovers that are really passionate about, um, you know, animals but don't necessarily know the ins and outs of the industry. Uh, so it's great to have Nikki helping out. Wonderful. And so one of like doing these doing these talks and talking to all different vets and and people who work in vet practices, one of the big things we hear about is this economic euthanasia and the and the huge toll that has on on the people who work there, on the businesses and on everyone involved, really. To you, Eloise, what what sort of toll does that take on you as a practicing vet? It's really hard, isn't it, when you see, um, you see animals that you know you can help um, and, and people love them, but you just can't, you can't afford to do anything. And there's, you know, you get in trouble, don't you? If you, if you start discounting bills and, and it's just not a sustainable thing for, a, um, for a practice to, to try and, you know, um, help everyone. And in other places, I, I think in Sydney, there was a few more options in terms of where you could send people. Um, so I found, you know, there might be a, a you know, a, I thought it was the first practice I ever worked at was um, one of those, um, you know, fairly basic vet practices, super cheap, um, one vet, one nurse, uh, like he worked 80 hours a week or something crazy, you know, and, and he had, had incredibly low prices. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure whether there's still those sorts of practices around, but, um, and there's also the RSPCA, 
that you could send to people to. In the UK, there's heaps of animal charities that, you know, that are, that are able to help pet owners. Whereas I think it depends on really where you work, um, where, you know, what options there are. Unfortunately, in here, there's just, there's really, the RSPCA isn't open to the general public. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was either euthanize or surrender, really, um, before we started. Yeah, Eloise, you mentioned there about uh, discounting. Um, you didn't mention it in these exact words, but uh, a clinic absorbing the costs. You mentioned um, one scenario there where you actually paid for the surgery yourself to then keep the animal comfortable in, uh, at your house. There's an example, Stumpy the cat. Yep, uh, we mentioned Stumpy with, a few times. Yeah, Stumpy's our um, spirit animal in many ways. And there's another uh, cat feature, cat cameo. Um uh, yeah, Stumpy the cat, uh, Flynn saved um, and she's Stumpy because she doesn't have a tail now and she wasn't in a good way and so Flynn paid for that and brought Stumpy home just for a few days, of course, um, still living with Flynn's family um, naturally but there's a lot of that, the clinic absorbing that back onto itself and, and we mentioned that's not sustainable but can you kind of just like take us into why that's not sustainable because something we hear about is that pet care animal care is expensive we don't try and hide from that i think what i would love to do is tell tell people more about why it is expensive and i think what we need to do as well is celebrate the fact that we have amazing care available to us and that we can take our animals to the vet we live in an established community with privilege to do that um there's a whole lot of things i've touched on there but uh in short Take us in, take us behind the clinic counter there and what it means for a clinic to absorb a cost or for a vet to, to, to bear the bill. In many cases, the small business owner is also the head vet. A thing I could probably talk about for, forever. Um, I think the standard of care and the facilities we have to look after our animals um, have, have really improved over, since I've started working anyway. Um, and you know the the thing you can there's different levels always different levels of care that you can offer and you always find when you're talking to a pet owner you just need to work out what they can afford to to spend and what they can do um and like with the the cat that i got surrendered to me stripey he um has three legs um because we decided it would be more economical to to um amputate rather than um, attempt a very difficult fracture repair. Um, it was well beyond my skills as a GP vet. Um, and yeah, so go, there's always different levels of care that you can offer. I think sometimes the the costs involved are based on the staffing and the equipment. Um, the industry now, I think, is is necessarily more expensive just because of the um, the level of care in order to sustain all of the things that you need in order to practice to have an x-ray machine um, you know to purchase all of the disposables that you need to run a clinic with um, it just it really is expensive isn't it um, and I don't think it's necessarily worth compromising what we do in order to do something really cheaply um, but yeah do you want to talk a little bit about that Nikki? I was just going to say I think one of the other sides of the coin also is you know, especially nowadays, you didn't see it, you know, back when I first started nursing, because it was all sort of owner operated clinics. But 
you know, now with the introduction of more corporate, like when you're looking at, at big franchises like Green Cross and things like that, um, you know, that's a big difference because, you know, Green Cross are setting your prices and Green Cross are dictating to you. Um, so you've got no control over those things. And like, you know, at times um, I, I you know, have come from a Green Cross clinic. Um, and there are times where, you know, even the vets themselves are uncomfortable with the pricing. It's, you know, but they find it hard to justify that sort of pricing to a client, especially, you know, someone who's, you know, in a financial situation and, you know, trying to justify sort of, you know, $400 for x-rays and, and stuff like that. So um, I think that plays into it. And then, you know, that's where we start to see some of that reputational damage where you know vets are just in it for the money vets don't care about the animals and it's like when it comes down to that and you know more and more clinics nowadays won't carry debt um you know so that they don't you know back in the day you used to have you know mrs gray come in and you know swipe her credit card on the old swipey machine and you know we'd uh, take payments out every fortnight and um you know they just don't offer that sort of thing anymore and I guess you know again with the progression of the industry we got things like vet pay my fund um you know zip pay and all of that coming in now um but it's a big difference for me because you know the the corporate side makes it a lot harder and you know there's a there's a lot of abuse that goes on um people are often surprised when I say I don't think there is ever been a shift in the time I've been nursing where myself or someone haven't been abused, um, be it as a nurse, as a receptionist, um, because people obviously heightened emotions, financial duress, um, you know, money. Um, it, it's just really hard. So you do cop it a lot. Um, but I work sort of for a, a private practice now that's, again, owner-operated. Um, he has established himself um, and, and it's, his wife's an accountant so you know when he's he's quite flexible in like he'll often say to people ah oh, don't worry about that yeah don't worry about that one today it's just an injection this you know and but then you see the other side when his wife comes out and goes but who's going to pay for that syringe who's paying for that needle who's paying for that one mil of you know clav um and and when you think about it it's like yeah because the the more of those he does every day it's less money in his pocket. Um, but, you know, he's he's working incredibly long hours, as is his wife, as our business manager, for earning less than what, you know, the, the nurses and stuff are because they, they're barely making enough to break even. And he's, I said, you know, working these phenomenal hours and most clinics you'll see that that are owner-operated. But, you know, people don't sort of take into account the, it's not just that, it's not just the wages, you know, where we're often, it's paying the rent, it's the electricity, it's the water, we've got to get the drugs in, we've got those disposables, we do have wages, um, but cleaning products and it, it just the little things, like every little thing in that clinic costs money, um, you know, and people want you to be there for their animals and, you know, it's like, well, I want you there with Fluffy overnight, but I can't afford, you know, the... $150 for overnight care and it's like but you know someone still has to it, you know it, it's hard because people don't often yet see that background um, on what else is happening behind the scenes they just see dollar signs and go well 
they're just trying to make a profit. Yeah, and it's something like it's something that we've talked about a lot through Flynn's Walk, through the podcast, um, and it's something that's still really rife in the in the vet owner community. The people just don't understand, don't really don't really stop to think about the fact that it's not Medicare funded. It's not, there's no external supports. There's nothing that are helping these vets because people often make the sort of connection to, well, I can go to the hospital and get a operation and a four week stay in intensive care and not pay a cent. Why do I have to pay? Like me, I just paid a thousand dollars the other day to have my dog's tooth removed. Mm. Why do I have to pay so much just to get a tooth removed? Um, But yeah, people don't, people don't understand that, these practices are doing all this on their own. Yeah. And as you say, and the, the owner operated, um, the operator owner operated clinics, they're the ones doing it because they love it. They, there's, there's so much passion and so much love for the animals in those people. And that's why everyone gets into vet care. Um, and yeah, they, they make that decision to absorb it and to not make the money and to, Cut their profits down, cut their margins down, yeah. um, just to keep these just to keep these animals alive and healthy. Something I I had a really big moment of realization. Um, I was fortunate enough we were up in Toowoomba and um, I got to look around behind the scenes of a clinic that had just been set up, a brand new emergency clinic, and um, the lead vet there, Dave, showing us around oh, new tools, and I got this thing, and he goes, "Oh, come and see the um, the CT machine," and I'm like. Oh, this will be exciting. And I'm kind of thinking, oh, for a dog or cat, it's probably kind of the size of a big front loader washing machine or something like that, or or maybe a bit bigger. Uh, we go in and it's a human size CT machine. And I was like, what, uh, what's, what is this about? And he said, well, mate, to be fair, that's the same one. It's a Siemens da-da-da, whatever number it was. Um, that's the one that is actually used down the road in the public hospital. Okay, so that's fair enough, fair enough. He goes, but we've got the additional layers of I have to put a dog under anesthetic to put them into this machine. I can't just ask um, Sally or Bruce, the, the patient, to lay still for me. So there's, it actually becomes even more expensive than trying to do it on a human with the same piece of equipment. And the final piece to that, one of the vet nurses based at that clinic, her partner, Andrew, was a radiographer and would help with shifts at the clinic and worked at the public hospital as a CT scanner in surgeries. And I was like, I had this colliding moment in my brain where I was like, oh my goodness, healthcare, healthcare is healthcare in so many senses. And then you look deeper and you go, the drug companies are often overlapping and, and make things for both fields and, and, and equipment and, and, the, and the supplies. So, and Eloise has been nodding along to all of this saying, I know, I get it. I, so yeah, it's... um. That's something really important to keep in mind. And as I said before, Eloise, we need to look at building an appreciation for the fact we have this care. As you said, we shouldn't accept that we can do things on the cheap or subpar. We should really embrace the fact this care is there at the end of our street, at the end of a phone line nearby, wherever it might be. Maybe slightly harder if you're in a rural area, for example, but still available yeah it's very true isn't it and um you know i talked a bit about wages but one of the things i'm really passionate about is actually getting proper pay for nurses so you work, <laughs> you work in a like i've worked at the emergency hospital where the nurses there are just amazing like they'll do everything for you they'll set the dog up for x-ray they'll they'll um, take all your bloods they'll you literally just do the consult pass it on to this highly trained nurse 
And they're often getting paid, you know, no more than um, supermarket workers for a profession that I'm no bagging out supermarket workers, but, you know, it's a highly trained um, position and they're just not at all appreciated or paid for that. And they often, as Nikki said, bear the brunt of people's frustration when um, they have to explain, you know, costs and they, um, they're often the ones answering the phones and um, <laughs> dealing with sort of difficult situations and they're just not at all appreciated and they burn out and they leave the profession um, and even in an emergency when they're working all night, um, the pay is just terrible. Um, so that's part of what you're um, paying for and what I think we need to emphasise is valuable in the profession is that we have highly trained professionals looking after animals, as you say, as, as um, it's healthcare, whether it's animals or whether it's <laughs> pets. Um but it's, it's a really difficult situation oftentimes um, veterinary professionals and are in, whether they're nurses or vets or kennel hands or receptionists. Um, so if we're, if we're going to um, raise the level of the profession and support people, um, part of it is about paying them appropriately, I think, as well. Um, but, yeah, back on to, sorry to go on to a tangent. <laughs> no, tangents welcome. <laughs> Um, you know the, the cost of we because we are setting up this tiny vet clinic at the moment you start realizing oh my god it's a dollar just to buy a catheter and sometimes you use five to getting a catheter into a small patient for example maybe Nikki doesn't a highly trained nurse <laughs> when you look at how much you're spending to set up a vet clinic or to run a vet clinic it's it's an astronomical cost um, and people don't see that when they you know when they get their dog's tooth out they don't see that that dog is under anesthetic um you're paying for a vet and a nurse for potentially two hours to do this procedure um and all the consumables you're using the equipment like what i was looking at buying dental x-ray and it's like well it's it's seven thousand dollars for the for the small camera to take the x-ray plus another sort of ten thousand dollars to buy the processor um and you, you often don't even necessarily charge that separately as part of a dental procedure. It's absorbed in that whole thing because it's standard of care now to take dental x-ray as part of your procedure. Um, yeah, so that's just one example of how much it costs just for one part of a, of a procedure. So before we go too much into the to the tiny clinic, which we'll get to, which is very exciting. Yeah. Take us, Eloise, back a little bit to when you started the APCS, sorry. Tell us a bit more about what it's about, how you started it, and a bit more specifically about sort of the funding that you offer, how people, how people, how vet practices can access that funding and how that model how that model all works for you. Yeah, so uh, when we started out, originally um, the pet medical crisis was $1,000 per patient so we set our our markers um fifteen hundred dollars um just to hopefully get um, help as possible for people um the way it works is that um, pet owners need to visit a vet clinic and we ask the vet clinic to do all of the assessing in terms of their financial situation um so if they've been declined vet pay which is a finance company um specific to vet clinics um usually that means that they're not well off financially um, and so that's the the level at which we offer help they've been declined vet pay and they have no other way of paying for care um, 
And so we asked the vet clinic to put an application and then we assess it at our end um, against a few criteria. And, and basically we just asked that the, um, you know, the condition is um, got a relatively good prognosis. It's something an average pet owner would treat um, and it would otherwise um, result in suffering, surrender um, or euthanasia if, if the pet wasn't treated. And so we offer up to $1,500 worth of help. Um, we work in Canberra and sort of the local region, which is usually Queanbeyan. Um, yes, you know, the local area to Canberra. Um, initially, when we, we started out, we thought, yep, that'll, that'll do us. You know, that's, that's what we'll do. Um, and we found that people were struggling even to get into to pay a consult fee and um, treat near infection, just the basic stuff as well. Um, so offered another... Um, another sort of process where people can get up to $250 worth of help. Um, and that one we're not quite so strict with. Uh, we just wanted to make it fairly open so that people could at least get their pet assessed and they weren't worried about paying that initial consult fee. Because um, sometimes people are just too scared even to go in or too, too uh, financially destitute even to, to go in and um, get their pets seen. Um, so, and we found that's probably been our um, biggest expenses really is just that $250 um, claim. Because um, sometimes just, yeah, it's just a, an ear infection or it's an old dog with arthritis or, you know, a pet that's not been to the vet for many years. Um, and at least that way they can get through the door. Um, if there's something else they need help with, get an estimate um, and then we'll help with the up to $1,500. Um, so I think the biggest thing we've found is that um, it's it's really been um, tricky getting the word out. So people don't really know that we exist. We're a small charity. We don't have a massive advertising budget. You know, we uh, we've just relied on word word of mouth, and we go out and visit vet clinics. And then, of course, COVID hit, and everything changed. And um, yeah, so we started in two thousand and nineteen, um, and we've we've helped almost 300 pets since then um yeah which is um we spent a lot of, a lot of money doing that <laughs> um but yeah it's been it's been a great journey uh but it's 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 interesting because you, you know you don't really know what it is that um you need to do when you first start a charity you know you, you sort of gets bigger and <laughs> and uh and now you're sort of thinking oh you know the biggest barrier at the moment is that um you know that a lot of vets in Canberra are super busy. People are waiting two weeks to to even just get in for a vaccination or something basic. Um, and it's yeah. So th we thought, okay, we're gonna have to start our own clinic. And this had been in the back of my sort of since we started. But um, I guess the whole COVID thing and the many many people getting more pets has just meant that it's probably even more valuable um, that we can at least sort of see some pets it's not going to be a massive clinic it's just going to offer fairly basic care um but hopefully it's going to fill that niche where um you know we've got a pet that just just needs to be seen we don't necessarily need to do all the fancy tests straight away we might be able to then um send them off to other places um but yeah when you've got vets closing their books and um not accepting new clients um it does make it really difficult if you've got a pet owner who doesn't have money <laughs> to, to get them in. Actually, um, I was just thinking about the essence of what it is that you've created here, which um, obviously I, I think is amazing and I, and I love it. Um, and Nikki, I had the pleasure of meeting you up in Canberra last year and looking forward to coming up again soon. Um, 
to me, what is really special about this, Jez, is that there's a, there's a non-judgmental, uh, um, minimized barriers to entry to get this support. Yep. All these key things. We're talking about, Nikki, people who are feeling at their most vulnerable or even some. Um, you're already feeling vulnerable when, you, when your pet is, at, is unwell or at risk. Um, then to add to that, you may not have financial security, short or long-term. Um, I'm interested just even a perspective from you, Nikki, on, on helping to manage how these decisions are made to, to fund um, particular support. How do, you, how do you navigate through that for yourself, protect yourself in that process, and, but also uh, keep, keep the, the person who's involved in this at heart? Because um, that, I imagine, is a really difficult balance. And add to that COVID where even more people are experiencing um, a lack of job security or work and things like that. I'd love you to share that part of the process. And I want to also just add that this is not an AI or computerized process that you guys and girls run. Um, this is done by real-time response from from the people involved, right? Well, <laughs> real time. We do try. Um, so we are 100% volunteers. Um, so, you know, there's no paid people in this charity. Yeah. So um, it does make it a bit difficult. And we're in a better position now that we have some more committee members because we have been sort of going out and, um, you know, fielding some. And basically the process is, the, the under 25 applications come through and, and they don't need sort of any approval from us because we basically trust that if people are desperate enough to to be putting in that sort of application, then they definitely need that sort of care. Um, and, you know, even if it's just peace of mind for them to be able to get into a vet and pay a consult fee, get a couple of antibiotics. Um, and, you know, and a lot of vets will, will try their hardest when before they put applications in, um, you know, most people are upfront about the fact that, you know, I don't have a lot of money. Um, the vets will try and keep the costs down. And, you know, most clinics will have what we call charity meds, I guess, um, you know, because sometimes animals pass away. We can't resell that medication. People can't use it. Um, so I know we have a box of donated meds that, you know, are still good. We can't sell them um, or resell them to the public, but we can use them for the lower, you know, economic people who are really struggling so you know and that makes a world of difference to someone if you can give them you know fifty dollars worth of antibiotics for free um the process coming in for the over 250 um comes into our subcommittee um eloise and myself uh on that so we sort of uh, bring in you know sort of a bit of the veterinary information because sometimes the clinics when they write this stuff up they'll abbreviate and and our non-veterinary minded committee members are like what does that mean what is that so you know we step in and we sort of simplify it for them um and when now we've got carrie on board as well um you know so her her vet nursing background is is equally as good so if you know eloise and myself aren't there she can break it down for people as well um, but it's usually, and it can be a robust discussion. We have had cases where we've had the committee split where, um, you know, people are like, yes, let's do it. And we're like, hang on, this isn't actually what we say we do. And we do have to often step back and that, that part of everyone is an animal lover in the charity. Um, and like Eloise said, we, we do want to try and help everybody. Um, 
we're not in a financial position to do that. So we do have to make some hard choices at times and, you know, offer alternatives. And, um, you know, there's things that we don't cover, like, you know, routine type procedures like desexing and things like that. Um, you know, it's just stuff we, we can't afford. There are other programs that can help. But um, I think it's good, though, but we have that mix of people because I've said to Eloise back in the beginning, it, um, it's quite an eye-opener when I would look at something and go, yes, and then you have the other people sort of ask questions. And it's sometimes it's really hard to take that veterinary blinkers off you know, and, and see outside of a veterinary mind. And, and it's really refreshing to have that point of view. Um, and it does, you know, as I said, we, we do have robust conversations sometimes and some people are for, some people are against. Um, but at the end of the day, we, you know, we try and make those decisions based on the fact that we, we don't want to see any pet suffering. Um, so, you know, if we had some in recently that, you know, ear infections and whatnot and desexing, and we were like, well, you know, we can't cover all of this, but we will try and help you with as much as we can. Um, but it is hard. It, it is really hard because you do, you, you do want to help everybody, but there's also people that um, you've got to be careful because there's people out there that will take advantage of a charity like us. And is it something, just quickly, is it something that you work with clinics on like will will you liaise with a clinic and say like if it's a thousand dollar procedure you'll cover half of it and and either the person or the clinic will cover half of it or is it is it something that's sort of completely separate i think it depends because like when we that that was part of the reason where the prerequisite um for anything over that is that they have to have been seen by a vet and the veterinary clinic has to put the application in um because at least we know we're getting information that's correct and they're also able to give us an estimate of price um, on that form um, we do ask you know is the client capable of donating anything to this um, and then we do up to the 1500 and then you know obviously every vet's different so um, some of them you know try and cut the cost get it down um, some of them might allow them to pay off what little is left um, you know, or they may be able to borrow big steel. As you said before, though, um, particularly maybe for those smaller amounts, if someone's uh, reached a point where they need to access that, then there's there's some trust and faith there that um, you can you can take their word on that they've they've tried their options or or don't have some options they can turn to, and then it's it's definitely good to understand what that means at at an extended level if you if you're needing more support, and it, it makes sense. It all it all. It all makes perfect sense. Oh yeah, I was just yeah, I was just going to say that yeah, because not not a lot of people know about us, as Eloise has sort of said, um, with COVID and our inability to reach out. And we do have another form on our website where, you know, if people don't have a vet or can't find a vet, they can send something in, and we can try and place them with a vet. Um, but you know, a lot of the times it's you know like the Canberra community pages and, and the local community pages where people reach out via Facebook and things like that and say, you know, I need help. I need to get my dog. I can't afford the consult fee. Is there someone blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and it's, it's heartwarming to see the increasing amount of people now that read those posts and start to tag our charity. And, and we start to get sort of recognition that way. And, you know, clinics that obviously use us, um, 
recommend us. So, but there's still a lot of clinics in Canberra that don't know how we work and, and don't know that we exist to be able to help. Yeah, hopefully the word keeps keeps spreading and Facebook is a, <laughs> a necessary evil in many ways. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even just the other day, I asked some, my local community where I could get a wardrobe fitted out from and there's like 10 responses in half an hour. Uh, people engage in all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And particularly things that are of personal nature like this. It's amazing when people will push your mission forward. And animals. Animals, exactly. Because behind every mad pet is an even madder uh, pet owner. So. <laughs> <laughs> Before we finish up, Eloise, you, I, know you, I know you're itching to get onto this. This is the tiny clinic. It's your new, it's your new initiative. Tell us a bit about how it started, where you're at with it and, and what the future looks like. Yeah, so we um, applied for a grant with Pet Stock Assist and so they've given us some money to help set up this tiny clinic. Um, we've got our premises and now we're going through the laborious process of, you know, sourcing supplies and working out how expensive everything really is. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, but it's the idea is, and I guess this is one area I'm particularly passionate about, is, you know, there are... Um, there are heaps of people out there that just never seek veterinary care. And some of those are people that can't get to a vet as well. So I'm part of an, an organisation called Pets and Positive Ageing. Um, and we did a survey recently um, about the barriers to pet ownership for older people. And one of the things was access to veterinary care, not only cost, but physically getting their pet to the vet. Um, and I've had so many clients that you know, they, they really struggle. So, you know, they'll, they'll need house calls or um, they get to a stage where it's really hard even to give medications to, to their pet. Um, and so one of the things that really hurts my, my heart is that thinking about this little old lady that's um, got probably this little old pet as well that desperately needs veterinary care. Um, and so what we've thought is that we can then offer this mobile care and actually actively find these pets that are probably never, ever seeing the vet. Um, so I have this, this idea of going out to all the aged care facilities that are pet friendly and um, setting up clinics there regularly. Um, and, of course, you know, all those um, pets that uh, we see through Pets in the Park as well, there's in-between between those monthly clinics where they need extra help. Um, so there's heaps of um, pet owners in the community that I really think that the reason why they're not going to the vet is they physically can't get there. It's not only cost. Um, so that's how the mobile clinic's going to work. Um, and we're not going to offer full services. We won't have x-ray. Um, we're we're going to be able to do short procedures under anaesthetic Um but, you know, anything bigger will be able to refer to bricks and mortar clinics. Um, so it's mainly going to be consultations and first opinion stuff. Um, so, yeah, very exciting, very exciting. And hopefully we're going to be up and running um, around the middle of the year. Um, yeah, volunteer run. So it's mainly going to be me and um, whatever vet nurses I can <laughs> scrounge up. Okay, we can we can actually afford to pay um, at least a nurse wage. So uh, it's hopefully donation-based. So whatever people can afford um, to contribute to the cost of their pet's care. Um, and hopefully one day we'll be able to open an even bigger clinic um, and offer full service stuff like like they are in the, the UK, the Blue Cross clinics and that sort of thing. So yeah, really exciting. And it's such a good idea. I, I've, I've come from a, from a homeless support service and we had, before COVID, we had um, a Green Cross 
they call it the green bus. And so they, it was a doctor and two nurses came out on, on like a big bus um, once a week. And yeah, they would come and see people who wouldn't go to the doctor or wouldn't get any care otherwise. Often there was like a dentist or an OT or someone else with them. So this the same sort of thing, getting getting the help to people who either can't or wouldn't otherwise yeah. be going to get it. Sorry, people, when I say people, I mean I mean for their animals in this sense, yeah. Yeah. Um, is an incredible thing and I, I love the idea. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting because it's. Um, I'm hoping it can be a model for elsewhere as well. So if we can show work and how it works, then um, all those communities where there just isn't veterinary care at all, um, because, I mean, I think as as um, as it becomes harder and harder to, to run a veterinary clinic um, in the modern age, um, there, are, there are practices out, you know, that probably can't find vets. I know it's hard enough to find vets and nurses in Canberra. And we're a big city with lots of, you know, facilities and lots of reasons to move here. It's a wonderful um, So I don't know what it's like <laughs> in those small country towns, um, you know, trying and, you know, those older vets that are trying to sell their practices, um, I, I don't know how they're going to manage in the future. So it's a real it's a real problem in the industry. Um, and maybe mobile veterinary care is is the way to go. Because you see in the US, there's these massive, like, um, motorhome type things. And I'd love to have them all over the place here. I'd like to be the first one to own one. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And, a, and a, an enormously brave step and mission. And um yeah, we can only wish the best for it and hope that it goes well because even Nikki just uh, before we recorded, we were chatting about how that mobile clinic could be parked with other mobile services that are supporting people potentially sleeping rough or um, food for the community for people who who um, may not be able to afford to buy, buy it for themselves. So uh, it can kind of click into that um, sort of yeah ecosystem, if you like, of, of support for, for the community as well. So I love all of that. Hoping to... Um, get a peep at it potentially up in Canberra if we, if there's time to come and have a look I'd love to yeah that'd be great <laughs> well I've heard it, it was uh, I've seen some photos and go and look at um, the ACT uh, pet crisis support web page we'll share the links and stuff too but you can go on and you can see the photos of what it looked like before the renovations started um, and uh, it's exciting when you see that and then and then your um, proposal and the budgeting and everything like that you're very transparent all of that's available to read Um so I encourage people to go and do that and, and see what was really going into this effort to make this happen. But um, Eloise, thank you. Uh, you're in between uh, this and other things and, and voluntary stuff and all sorts of stuff. So I appreciate you giving your time um, and thanks for having a chat. Well, thank you. And Nikki, thank you um, for getting on board and, and having a chat and we look forward to catching up with you again in Canberra for our walk soon. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, thank you to you guys too and especially what you're bringing to the table in the veterinary industry in, you know, memory of Flynn and highlighting that high pressure of, of what some of our vets are under and it's just such an important cause and, you know, we're, we're really proud to be um, part of that journey with you and doing what we can to, to raise awareness for that as well. Thank you so much. Jez, I'm looking forward to hopefully having a peep at the tiny clinic when I pop up to Canberra. It sounds very exciting. I, yeah. I really love the idea of it. It's cool. And and there's clearly uh, these ladies are visionaries mm, for yeah. all sorts of reasons. Yep. And um, can't wait to see what that evolves to. I love that it, they're viewing it as an opportunity to pilot this, mm. to trial it, see how it goes. Yep. 
expand it. I mean, it makes exactly, sense. Exactly, yeah. Tiny, um, clinic, tiny clinic coming to a city near you or yeah. coming to a town near you. Yeah, and, and I, I actually got thinking about it when we were talking to them just about mobile dog wash mm, and yeah. how that just yeah. Yeah, yeah. exploded. Yep. Like, And there's so many independent ones. There's Jim's dog wash and Jim's, Jim's vet clinic. Jim's, oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, it's a, I love that mindset of taking things to people who yep, can't exactly. get to yep. the service. Yep. So that that's a wonderful thing. So if you're interested in finding out a little bit more about what they are up to, actpetcrisis.com um, and on, they're on socials as well. We'll share those links and yep. you can learn more about their project. Uh, they're always open to taking donations and mm, support. Exactly. So you feel like it's something um, you'd like to get behind, by all means, please go and, go and uh, investigate the avenues there because um, it's something we'll be following and supporting with as much as we can by word of mouth and promoting their service as well. That's yeah, exactly. And as I said, they they're relying heavily on word of mouth at the moment. So if you are if you're in Canberra, if you're in the ACT region, and you or you know someone who who could benefit their service, then definitely definitely give them a shout out and pass on the information. Jez, behind obviously all of our conversations here is the undercurrent and theme that. Um, we want, to, we want to create a supportive community and make it okay to not be okay and yep. ask for help. Exactly and there's right. lots of services that are available to people if you need them. That's it. We do like to discuss and plug the services at the end of all the episodes. So as per usual, Beyond Blue, Kids Helpline, Headspace, Are You Okay? They're all great resources. Mm. They, they have phone numbers. They've got websites. Yeah. Reach out for help if and when you need it. If it is a crisis or you do need urgent help, you can always call Lifeline 131114. There's the suicide callback service, or if it's an emergency, please call triple zero. Thanks, Jez. And uh, those numbers and links, they're on our website. Yep. They're in uh, the blurb of every podcast episode as exactly. well. I think we can only make this stuff transparent and available and, and get it into people's brains. Save it into your contact list. Oh, yeah. You never know yeah. when you might need it or someone else you know needs it so it's uh it's great to have all those things available jez uh there's lots coming up for us um, it's going to be a busy few months we've got we've happening. got other walks we've got melbourne camera booked we've got other walks in the works so yep. keep an eye on the Plenty. socials keep your calendars open and come down for a chat yeah exactly there's going to be lots happening and um we've got a few other little activities popping up as well Heaps more to come on that. And uh, thanks as always for listening. Be sure to go back and have a listen to previous episodes if there's a conversation there that piques your interest. And uh, we will look forward to sharing more stories with you very soon. Sounds good. <laughs>